Welcome to The Irony of Beauty, a fortnightly podcast hosted by skincare experts Fiona and Rose. They love a good chat and sometimes a heated debate about all things skin and nutrition, calling out scaremongering, misinformation and misleading marketing in an ever-confusing world of beauty and wellness. Please note, the information provided is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace qualified medical advice. Today we are talking about something that we both get asked an awful lot about, which is TikTok trends and social media trends. And I get asked so many times, Rose, particularly regarding products. Um, you know, I saw this famous person using this product and what do you think about this? Or clients can be using skincare and then they stop because they've swapped out to a product that they saw some influencer recommending. Um, and also TikTok trends, you know, people trying all these different trends. It's so much to unpack. Where should we begin? Oh, there's so much to unpack here. Um, I have countless times that um, clients have actually told me that they've seen something on TikTok, some famous person that's tried something new and they've gone out and bought it and then their skin's gone haywire. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to talk about this today. Well, I also get asked quite a bit about... Um, creams and sometimes they don't even clients don't actually even ask if it's good they just say it is good they tell me it's good because somebody told them it was good (laughs) um so it does get quite confusing out there especially when you're trying to stick to a whole skincare regime um and then we've got the whole tiktok trend thing that some of them quite frankly are dangerous and then others maybe not so dangerous. So I thought it might be quite good to start with unpacking some of the trends that are are trending at the moment. Something that I'm seeing quite a bit of is homemade rice water toners. I don't know if you've seen those, but it's basically when you, you boil rice and then you strain the rice water off and then you keep it as a toner. And rice, as we know, is is really skin softening and is meant to have these amazing skin benefits, which it can do. But my issue when I see that is that, and that's the cosmetic chemist part of me coming out, that rice water toner doesn't have any preservatives in it. (laughs) So if you are keeping a water-based product and decanting it without having a preservative system in it, in in the space of a few days, you will start to grow microbes and even fungi. So that then can potentially be really, really dangerous um, by applying something that could be potentially contaminated on the skin. So in theory, a rice water toner, yeah, lovely, you know, just it's, it's not going to do any harm unless potentially it's a homemade toner where it hasn't been preserved and then um, we could see microbes and microorganisms growing in there, which can be potentially very dangerous. So that's something that I'm quite big on when I see people saying, you know, preservative-free and moving away from preservative skincare. I don't think people realise how important preservatives are in skincare. Um, They're there to slow down or prevent the growth of contaminants in a skincare product. When formulated correctly, they're not going to be detrimental to the skin. Sometimes they can be sensitising on some people's skin, but it depends on the preservative and, it, we all, as we always say, it depends on the final formulation. But if anyone's scaring about preservatives, then um, I would say run away from that professional because that, to me, tantamount 
it's tantamount to malpractice to say to someone, you know, don't use preservatives. And I'm hearing that and seeing that a lot in skincare at the moment. Yeah, there is a lot of um, misleading information with regards to that. And I certainly wouldn't want to use anything on my skin that didn't have some form of safe preservative to keep that product stable. I mean, it's all about stability, isn't it? Whether it's oil-based or water-based, you still need a preservative. Um, at the end of the day, as, as dermal therapists, we're working towards creating a healthy skin barrier. Why would you put a product on your skin that you've technically made at home, which is going to expire within 24 to 48 hours without preservatives? You know, why, why would you even do that? You want to use something that's high quality. We're trying to create a healthy skin barrier, healthy skin microbiome. If things don't have preservatives in them, you're going to interrupt that whole ecosystem on the skin. And then obviously the skin's going to go into an inflammatory state. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's there's some merit of, you know, you know, it's, I guess it's a natural side of things where people are wanting more natural products and there's there's the thought of putting preservatives on the skin and then that's going to be upsetting the actual skin microbiome. But then I think we've got to also think that the, the skin microbiome is going to come back. So whatever we put on the skin, whatever we put on the skin is going to disrupt the skin microbiome. Some products and some ingredients are going to be more detrimental than others, but the skin microbiome is there to protect us, so it will still come back. In preservatives, if you were putting a really strong sort of neat preservative on the skin, then it's going to be quite detrimental to the microbiome because the whole purpose of a a preservative is is to um, stop the growth of microbials, you know, microbes. Um, But it's used in a very small percent in a product formulation and ideally has got other ingredients in there to help support a healthy microbiome so you can help to balance that out. The only time you wouldn't put a preservative in is if it was completely oil-based because then um, if it's completely oil-based, the microbes don't basically grow in um, that environment or if it had a very, very low pH or a very, very high pH. and those extremes of pHs would, would basically be an environment where the microbes couldn't couldn't grow. So they would be sort of instances where you wouldn't need a preservative system. Otherwise, every skincare does need a preservative system, whether it's a preservative or microbial ingredients. Um, so I think that's important to understand because I'm seeing a lot of skin therapists at the moment saying, oh, this is preservative free and then I look at the ingredient list and it's got alcohol it's got propylene glycol which can act as a preservative booster it's got all these glycol ingredients in there and I'm thinking "Mm, it's not really preservative free it's sort of it's still got your antimicrobial ingredients in there so what you're saying you don't know what you're talking about so it's I think there's so much misinformation and it's so confusing for consumers to know who to believe um so always always use a I guess a trusted professional, but a lot of these professionals are also saying this information. So it it's a minefield out there. It really is. Agreed. And I hear that from clients all the time. Do companies legally have to list the preservatives on their products? Yes. Because they're all stating that they're clean and they're preservative free and there's and they're natural, which isn't even a thing. You know, like do they legally have to list the preservatives on their products? They legally have to list the preservatives on their products unless the preservative is part of 
a system where it is an excipient. And what I mean, and that's in Australia, in the UK, you have to still list the excipient. And this is, again, where it's a very grey area. Um, so in the UK, you have to list every single ingredient. So let's say you let's say you were using a peptide ingredient and that, that peptide also comes in a glycerin base and a base with um, a, like a preservative booster type ingredient. It could be salicylic. So salicylic sometimes can be... Um, preservative part of a preservative system it might be um, propylene glycol pentylene glycol it might be all sorts of different ingredients if they're in there with the raw ingredient that's considered an excipient it's not going to have an action in the final formula then in Australia you wouldn't have to necessarily list it so you could in effect have a paraben in your product and not know about it because it hasn't been listed highly unlikely because most companies don't you know, a lot of companies aren't using parabens because of all the scaremongering about them. Um, they are perfectly safe, but unfortunately, most people just don't want to use them. So companies now are looking at alternative preservative systems. But for your actual preservative system, um, yes, that would be listed because it's in an amount that would be required to be listed on a on a label. And it's quite interesting because I was talking at the beauty trade show this year. And I was actually saying, you know, quite often preservatives will be put in at about the 1% mark. Um, although these natural preservatives or preservative boosters or ingredients as alternatives tend to go in in higher amounts. So potentially they could be even more irritating, which is ironic again. Um, <laughs> but people don't understand that. So you can usually tell um, where the 1% line is on an inky list by where the main preservative is and as we know on an inky list ingredients have to be listed up to one percent and then after one percent in any order so you can put in so it's very hard to tell sort of by looking at an inky list really what you've got in there at what percent because after one percent can be in any order so once you find the preservative system um, and you would need to know your preservative systems to be able to recognize it then um, you can kind of get an idea of the percentages that are in the product as well. It's quite interesting. Sure. What's technically a safer preservative? Like what are they using? If they're not using parabens, what are they using? Does formaldehyde still come under that category or what are they looking at? What are they using? No, so um, nobody really uses formaldehyde anymore, but you can get um, formaldehyde-releasing preservatives. Mm -hmm. So there are preservative systems that still can release formaldehyde. Um but quite often, you know, things like your phenoxyethanol are used, but now there seems to be move a move away from phenoxyethanol. So people are going more to your natural preservatives, um, also your, your food-grade preservatives, um, your benzoates, benzoyl alcohol, things like that as well. So um, there are hundreds of different preservatives, but they're all um, – they come as systems – or you can mix them together because you need to get your broad-spectrum preservative in there because um, some will just do certain microbes, some will do fungi, etc. So you have to have a broad spectrum to have maximum protection against microbial contamination. That's really good clarity. Um, let's talk about, I hate this word, slugging. <laughs> this is another trend that I hear a lot of. Um, yeah, so let's talk about slugging. Um, my interpretation of slugging is using something that's occlusive, a finishing product that's going to give you that beautiful glowy, glassy finish. Um, 
I naturally do that with clients anyway. I wouldn't probably use the terminology slugging, but if someone's got quite a dry skin, especially during the day, I would prescribe a product that would be a little bit, not so much occlusive, but protective against the environment that will then obviously see them throughout the day. So, you know, that could be a thing. I think with slugging, you know, slugging is really when, um, you know, the medical profession have been using it quite a bit to protect the skin. Slugging is when you do use an occlusive. Um, mm. Occlusives are the gold standard, really, to help to retain moisture in the skin. You know, if we really want to get hydrated skin, we need a humectant, we need an emollient, and we need an occlusive. And I think a lot of people get scared of the word occlusive because they think it's going to suffocate the skin, basically, and cause congestion. But we know they're sort of semi-occlusive. Your skin can still, you know, it's, it's not going to be um, something like petroleum we now know isn't going to be comedogenic um and ideally you would put something occlusive quite often online it would be something like dare i say you know petroleum jelly um over the top of usually a a humectant type product so something to like your hyaluronics or beta glucans or sodium pca those types of ingredients to aid hydration and it works because what if you just put something on like a serum, you're not sealing in that that moisture. So I always say it's a bit like a saucepan. It, you know, the the occlusive is like the saucepan lid um, to keep all the moisture inside, and it works brilliantly. I mean, I slug every night. Um, you know, I <laughs> I will put my um, hydrating serums and my moisture, and then I'll put something really rich over the top. I have used petroleum jelly when I've run out of rich product um i often use balms as well um something very rich to basically seal in all that moisture and it does wonders when your skin's feeling dehydrated saying that though if you've got oily or acne prone skin then you definitely don't want to be slugging because you've got enough oil production and you don't want you don't need to slug it's more for people with dry um dry skin types especially in winter you know when you want that extra hydration but I love a good slug what is interesting though I do see a lot of people that are very anti-petroleum jelly and I think it's a good one to um, myth bust because petroleum jelly everyone you know I hear skin professionals a lot go oh my god it's petrochemical and it's not skin friendly and interestingly I did see a skin professional who has their own skincare brand actually trolling a cosmetic chemist the other week online saying, I can't believe you're recommending petroleum uh, jelly. It's so not skin-friendly. And I'm thinking, well, why isn't it skin-friendly? It's completely um, hypoallergenic. It's had any potential contaminants removed. So it's as pure as pure can be. It's hypoallergenic. You know, you pop it on baby's bottoms because it's so non-irritating. There's nothing in it. You haven't got anything irritating in there. Um, so why is it actually not skin friendly? Because it's there's nothing in it, you know, it's just there as a protective balm. But the ironic thing, Rose, was that the products she was recommending were full of petrochemicals and she was sort of harping on that it was a petrochemical. And I'm thinking, don't you understand what a petrochemical, you know, 80% of skincare ingredients are petrochemical derived. It doesn't mean to say you've got petrol in your product. It's just a an ingredient that's been highly refined and highly processed and, and most skincare ingredients have got some kind of petrochemical derivative, you know, propylene glycol, um, 
is a petrochemical derivative. People don't realise that. Yeah, it just comes down to the understanding of the ingredients, doesn't it, and, and what you're really telling clients to use. Um, you know, slugging in itself, I need to get my head around that word, but, you know, it is something that I would naturally do for a client because especially with skin layering, you know, we're always encouraging clients to layer their products, um, you know, lots of serums, you know, if that's the case uh, for that particular brand of skincare that you're recommending. You do need a finishing product that is going to protect or be a little occlusive. You want to protect the skin barrier. You want to keep the skin hydrated, especially against the elements in the environment. And then at nighttime, you want something that's a little bit more juicy, you know, that's going to be really repairing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, slugging is definitely a thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think it just comes down to the, the right products that you're using. And, and skin layering is definitely a thing. Um, I definitely recommend my clients, you know, layer their products, but it just needs to be done with the right ingredients and the right products. Otherwise, what will happen is then you fall into another thing called skin peeling. Would you agree? You can do for sure. Um, something that people complain about a lot is when their skincare peels off and it's when it starts to, to ball up. That can happen for a few reasons. Quite often that can happen when you're literally applying products that just are not chemically compatible with each other. So, you know, different polymers are, are reacting and basically they the products um, will pill. So that could be if you're mixing and matching your products and those products aren't designed to be layered together. Um, it can just come down to the formulas of the products. So quite often SPFs can pill. Um, a sunscreen will usually be either a silicone or an oil base um, to get an even spread. So if you're putting that on top of um, another product that's maybe more water-based and has got different polymers in there, quite often um, those two things are just not going to mix and you'll start to get pilling with the, with the SPF. I have used some products, um, even on their own, where they just pill off, you know, like a moisturiser, and that might just be really down to the, the formula that hasn't been well thought out. It's probably got a gum. I find gums in products when not carefully formulated to higher gum, something like xanthan gum, for instance, or lots of different gums, actually. If, if they're all mixed together, there's too much in there and there's nothing to offset that, then when it dries down, it starts to peel off. Um, so it might be just down to the product formulation and you want to get a different product that doesn't pill or it might be that you're mixing products that just don't mix together. You sometimes find it with makeup as well. You may have the best skincare and then you put your makeup on and then everything starts to peel off. That then would tell me that your makeup isn't compatible with your skincare and unfortunately you'll have to go and get a new makeup. <laughs> Yeah, I have seen it um, happen with clients previously with their skincare regime um, where they do get some filling going on. And it, it comes down to if they're cherry picking a lot of products as well and using different brands and different formulations together, um, it doesn't work sometimes. So the product will peel. Um, and when they put their sunscreen on, the sunscreen goes bally. So comes back down to, I guess, making sure that you've got the right formulations and the right ingredients for that client's skincare routine. Um, when it comes to cherry picking products, I'm very careful with because I, I like to work with the one brand because I know it works synergistically together. However, if there's an ingredient missing in something that I really need for that client, I will go to another brand and introduce it because it just completes the, 
their, their range that they need for their skin. But, you know, peeling can happen as a result of that too. So you've got to be really careful with cherry picking products or mixing brands because the formulations just don't gel. It's interesting. You know, some people are really like, don't ever mix your skincare brands. Don't. And then other people are like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And I probably sit somewhere in the middle. I think you can mix your skincare brands, but it really depends on the ingredients that you are mixing. I do think sometimes people say don't use any other brand because they just want that person, their client to use the brand and buy the product from them. So I'm, I'm a bit of a cynic when it comes to that. Um, you know, if I had a client that was using a different cleanser and they loved it and it was a really gentle cleanser and it was fabulous and then they wanted to use a serum and a moisturiser, I was recommending, well, absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But what you do have to be careful of, and the thing I see probably the most with cherry picking is too much exfoliation and too many hydroxy acids. And even some brands, to be honest with you, put hydroxy acids in everything, and I think it's just too much. You know, I've seen brands where they've got hydroxy acids in the cleanser, they've got a toner with hydroxy acids, they've got a serum with hydroxy acids. It's just too much. You don't need that many hydroxy acids. I think for some skins, hydroxy acids can be beneficial, particularly those where they get a build-up of skin cells. You know, they retain those skin cells, um, particularly acne-prone skin types, someone that wants more of a, a brightening and lifting. Now and again, in a controlled way, hydroxy acids can be beneficial. But most people use too many and too much and too often, or they'll use too strong a product like a exfoliant or a exfoliating toner that's just too strong and too harsh and then they'll get redness and irritation and an impaired barrier um the last thing you want to do is then put a serum with hydroxy acids on it you know on your skin as well and you know do you need a cleanser with hydroxy acids every single day it's different for all skins but most people use it way too much and if you're cherry picking with all different products with hydroxy acids then you could find you get an impaired skin barrier, which will be dehydration, skin sensitivity. But some brands have hydroxy acids in everything and they're brands that I personally would would avoid. I see that a lot with new clients. Um, When I first meet them, they're very often over exfoliating because they've mixed so many different brands together. Um, So it is a concern. Um, And it's purely, it comes down to people not understanding the ingredients and the formulations. I've got a few brands of skincare in the clinic and there are some that I can play around with and and mix products and brands together because I'm looking for a specific ingredient. Um, But then there's other brands that I really can't do that because it will become incredibly counterproductive um, to what that brand is trying to achieve for their skin. So, you know, if you've got a brand that really focuses on focuses on nurturing that skin back to health, focusing on a healthy microbiome, there's no real need to introduce something else that has a lot of AHAs or BHAs in their products because it's just going to be so counterproductive and then you'll end up with a very irritated skin. So, um, you know, I'm quite particular about what I combine combine together for the clients and it just comes down to understanding that client's skin as well. It's just really assessing the client and giving them what they need for their skin at the time. And I think as well, because clients, um, consumers in general, are just becoming more educated when it comes to skincare. Um, And when I say educated, some may be educated in the wrong way (laughs) from TikTok or from people that probably don't know what they're talking about. And then others do do their research, and they're very, very educated, very, very knowledgeable. And they can then think, well... 
I've read that this hydroxy acid is great, so I'm going to use this. And I've read that um, retinol is great, so I'm going to use that. Then niacinamide, um, you know, and before you know it, they've got all these different actives and they're using them and vitamin C. And it's about knowing when is enough enough and what does your particular skin type need. Because I, I even saw it at the recent beauty show, you know, people still get confused with thinking more is better whether it be, you know, more exfoliation, the higher the percent, the better. And it doesn't have to be that way. As long as you are using something at therapeutic dose, um, it does depend what other ingredients are mixed in that formulation as to how effective it's going to be or potentially how irritating it's going to be. And there still is this mentality of, you know, the higher the hydroxy acid, the better, the higher the retinol, the better. Would it not be better to use a vitamin A at a therapeutic amount that's going to be effective without going so high that you're causing redness and peeling and skin irritation? To me, it just doesn't make sense why you want to sort of take your skin to that extreme. I'm always a big believer in slow and steady wins the race and give your skin what it needs for its optimum skin function and skin health without having to strip and peel and you know do so much intensive work to it that you are going to get side effects on your skin um you know I'm the same with when I'm sort of looking at nutrition people sort of go the more the better extremes and all of this it's like no it doesn't have to be like that you know you don't have to extreme cut everything out of your diet it it the body doesn't work like that the skin doesn't work like that and I I do think we need to be educated that you don't have to have the highest percentage of niacinamide. You know, quite often to me that is just a marketing scam to think, you know, so somebody goes, oh, that one's got more, it must be better. Well, hey, the evidence is at 2 to 5%. What else is that in that product as well? Why do you need a product with 15% niacinamide in it? Surely that's just going to have more of a detrimental effect. It, it makes no sense to me. That's right. And then if you're using products... You know, if more is not better because if you're using products with those higher percentages that aren't good for your skin, the skin is in a constant state of repair. It's it's always going to be inflamed. It's always going to be impaired. And, and why are we treating the skin? The common goal is to repair and rebuild, get that skin to function as a healthy organ. Over-treating is so counterproductive as is over-prescribing products. You know, when I first meet a client, it is more important for me to prescribe skincare that is going to be relevant to that treatment that I'm doing as opposed to giving them a, a whole 10-step routine just because vitamin C is good for the skin. If that particular product is not good for them at the time, I would not recommend it. You know, It really comes down to that skin and rebuilding that skin in such a way that we strengthen it, we rebuild it, and then we can start to introduce some actives. I am a fan of skin cycling. That is one, you know, trend that I do like doing because you can spread those actives out and you know that it then becomes predictable. The response of the skin is predictable and you're nurturing the skin back to health. So, you know, your retinols or your retinaldehyde, um, your AHAs, those exfoliating actives, I do like to cycle and spread them out if the skin needs that. You do get those skins that can tolerate it, combining those ingredients together, and that's good too. But, yeah, skin cycling is, I think, a really good thing to do. And that's using different products on different days. Yes. Um, Correct. Exactly. And that makes that makes a lot of sense. So whilst it's trending, 
it's something that skin professionals have been recommending for a long time. It's just now become trendy to do. And really, I think it's because everyone's been using too much, overloading the skin, and now it's like, no, 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 step back. And now it's got a name, skin cycling, skin, skin cycling, whereas before it was just, you know, use your retinol, start once, once, twice a week, and then slowly build up as your skin can tolerate. Now it's all skin cycling. Yeah, I I am a fan. I have to say that. (laughs) So I think something also I get asked about a lot is, you know, where do I start in a skincare regime? You know, do I need to start with retinol? Do I need to start with a serum? Where do I start? And my advice would always be, you know, start with the basics. Look at the skin, you know, to see what it needs. But usually you need a good cleanser. Cleansers are way more important than people realise because a lot of them can really strip the skin um, and when we've got an impaired skin barrier, that's going to lead to sensitivity and dryness. And I think out of any skincare ingredient, the ones that do potentially the most, I don't want to say harm because I don't like scaremongering, um, the, dis- the most, they can, they can do the most disruption are surfactants. You know, if you think about it, it's just washing your hands, it's, it's there to sort of, we were told to wash our hands, you know, for the COVID virus, et cetera. Washing, the surfactants actually will disrupt the the skin barrier and the microbiome. So it's really important to have a cleanser that is very well formulated, that's not going to be too harsh and not going to be too stripping and has got a lot of other incredible ingredients to help to replenish the skin. So don't underestimate the power of a cleanser, a good cleanser. And I think we've spoken before about, you know, cleansing properly and just gently wiping with a, a face washcloth so you don't have to overuse your surfactant based products Um, and then a good moisturizer which might have some actives in and a good SPF and I'm a big fan of SPF 50 Um, I think if you can get a 50 whether it be chemical or physical that's a good place to start and then once you've got onto your basics you can then start to add your I call them sort of specialities, whether it be an exfoliant or a, or a retinol or a, whatever that person needs, whatever topical ingredient that person needs. But it also depends on time and regime. You know, not everyone's going to want a long, drawn-out skincare regime. Some people want something very basic. And you can get great skin with a very basic regime. Exactly. Um, and during the consultation process, I always ask my clients, you know, how do, you, how do you look after your skin? How many products do you enjoy using? You know, do you enjoy using skincare? Do you look forward to it? Um, because then that gives me an indication of what I would prescribe and how many steps because we have brands in the clinic that have a lot of steps and then we have more consolidated brands as well. So that will also help me to determine the best brand of skincare to recommend that client. Not everyone wants 10 different serums at night, you know. Mm, I do <laughs> see I'm the opposite I love it <laughs> give me more um but not everyone has the time to do that you know so you know and, and you have to take that into account you know if you're looking after a client that's a mother of four children she's going to be exhausted by the night time you know so she just wants the basics what she needs to keep her skin on track um as you move forward with the treatment plan you know giving her those necessary ingredients to ensure that her skin's protected recovered you know, and some good good quality nutrients for the skin barrier. It, it comes down to the client at the end of the day, you know. But yeah, yeah sure. understanding ingredients is important. I think so, for sure. And commitment and compliance, you know, because skincare is um, a long-end game, really. You have to commit to it and you, you have to comply because 
you're not going to get overnight results. It does take it does take time, and I think patience is is really important, especially when you're looking at more problematic skin conditions. It's something that you need to work at and commit to. This is a really good um, topic, actually, because with problematic skins, vitamin A is one um, product that I do recommend, and you do get purging with that product in particular as you're trying to keep the skin, you know, functioning and cleaning it up really well. Um, so purging is not necessarily a bad thing. And I think clients get a little bit scared of that when they're starting to use vitamin A. You can purge a little bit and that's, it's okay to, to you know, for that to happen. But consistency is what will get you through that. And what do you mean by purging for anyone listening that doesn't know what that means? Yeah, that's true. Um, so purging, when you start using products like vitamin A on an acne prone skin, you will break out. Yes. So whenever I look after a client that does have acne, there is always a stage that the skin is going to get worse before it gets better. So you just have to put, you know, help help them through that. But consistency and being compliant with your skincare is so, so important, especially when you're undergoing a treatment plan with procedures. You need those nutrients in the skin. It keeps the skin in a really good place in between clinic visits. For sure, for sure, definitely. Um, and it's something that I see. And this is when, I think sort of going back to the very beginning, it's important not to then get distracted by the bright, shiny thing on TikTok or I'm not even on TikTok, let's face it, but on <laughs> social media, Instagram. I haven't caught up to TikTok yet. Um, it'll come eventually. Um, oh, look, and I don't use it that often. I use it for business, but um, I don't sit there and look at things. No, but I hear about all these trends. Yeah, for sure. But again, you see a new product pop up and you go, oh, what's that? I'll try it, you know. And I, I do like trying new things, I must admit, you know, and getting samples and trying things. So it's very, very tempting. But that also can disrupt the the results and it can also cause things like irritation and breakouts because some products can cause breakouts, um, not just necessarily purging breakouts, it can be through using ingredients that are are causing breakouts on some skin. Um, Not all skins, but some skins will be more prone to break out from certain ingredients and that's a whole other podcast we can talk about. Um, So I think, you know, the takeaways here, Rose, are, you know, commitment and consistency with skincare is really key. Be careful if you are cherry picking and mixing and matching your products because it could potentially cause skin irritation. You could overdose on certain ingredients um, if you don't know your ingredients. So try not to get too sidetracked by whatever the latest trending product is. Um, And usually less is best when it comes to skincare. You don't necessarily need to have that long drawn out regime. Get the basics right first before, you know, adding more your actives. And I think really... When in doubt, get professional advice. And if, I think, importantly, that advice coming from the professional doesn't resonate, for instance, if you're being um, bullied into using a product or scared into using a product and told your product is bad because it's got a certain ingredient that is toxic, um, that's when alarm bells would ring for me. You know, when people start saying, that's really bad and that's, um, that's a toxic ingredient... That's when my, I think, oh, does that person actually really know what they're talking about? You know, if they're saying, oh, it's a petrochemical, well, do they really know what a petrochemical is? Can they can they recognise that on an inky list? Probably not. So they probably don't know what they're talking about. So when in doubt, um, 
seek professional advice. And if you're not happy with that professional advice, get a second opinion. Well said, Fiona.